G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, a wonderful opportunity today to meet the best-known Aussie where you probably don't know his last name. When you think of iconic Australian businesses, there's one that started small and has grown to one of the most recognisable businesses throughout the nation. Uh, We're all on a first-name basis with the founder of Jim's Mowing, a significant mower man story, and our pleasure today to meet the man behind Jim's Mowing. These days, he's CEO of Jim's Group. Jim Penman, a special welcome along to 2020. Yeah, good to talk to you. Well, Jim, uh, let me just uh, start with humble beginnings, because I know listeners will be so surprised, because they'll be seeing those trailers going past and seeing a, that picture of the bearded man on the side. Uh, you started with an initial investment of just $24, and things grew from there. Yeah, it was worse than that. I was actually about $30,000 in debt at the time and had nothing. Had a battered old mower, brush cutter, trailer, and I had just nothing to do to make a living with, so I started mowing lawns. But your passion was, wasn't it, to be studying and uh, to earn that PhD in history, and you say you were failing, so things weren't going so well with your studies. In fact, you started the lawn mowing business because you wanted to fund your university studies. That's right, yeah. A bit of income and and get me out in the fresh air and get some exercise while I was doing my, my studies, yeah. So this $24 initial investment... And did you start mowing the lawns early or did you have a a business idea that you were implementing right from the start? Was it, was it actually with the lawnmower out on the lawn? Well, I, I mowed lawns for a while as a student as part time. So it was really all I knew to make a living, but I I didn't have any sense that this was my long term career. It was just a sort of a something to do until something more useful came along. Even when I launched the franchise seven years later, that was, I never really thought it would grow to very much. Somebody asked me when I first started, they said, how many franchisees might you have one day? And I said, if it really goes well, maybe a 100. We're now closing on 4,000, so it's gone a bit better than I expected. Well, this is amazing. This is the significance of the story that I know people are captivated by, uh, the idea of growing to 4,000 franchises. And uh, from the reports that I read, turning over something in the vicinity of $400 million a year. Is that a figure that is still current? Yeah, that's right. Not much of it's mine, though. Our system is very heavily franchised, so the vast majority of the money is kept by the guy who does the lawns or cleans the houses or whatever. But I'm sure there's a healthy little royalty in there for uh, for the you know, the founder. Well, there's a nice little trickle comes through, able to uh, look after my friends at times. <laughs> it's great. And, of course, while we talk about mowing lawns and lawn mowing franchises, uh, Jim's group is much bigger than lawn mowing now. And, in fact, uh, we probably haven't got time to even go through all of the different types of franchises that people are able to enter into now with the Jim's name. It's about 54, I think, and, and rising fast. We'll probably have 60 by the end of the year. 
what are your favourites? Uh, there's some outstanding ones, or what are the most unusual? Well, my favourite is mowing. I, I love mowing lawns. I still I still enjoy gardening. I really it's one of my my main hobbies. I, I I grow a lot of my own potatoes and things. I just enjoy digging outside. Um, unusual. I don't really know. Actually, Jim's timber milling is is a is a, is a new one. <laughs> okay, that's, that's going down. Somebody wants a tree taken down, but instead of just chopping it up and burning it, you turn into this beautiful timber. So it's got this portable device that goes on. And does it? The, the councils love it. Actually, it's only been going a few months. It's fantastic amount of interest. In fact, there's more work than he can handle. It's a great division. And do you come up with those ideas, or no. have you? No, no. You, we've got a team of advisors around you, and they're saying, "Hey, Jim, this is another good one. You'll be able to start this." Uh, the number of people that give me all sorts of ideas about things I should do is is legion. But in fact, what happens is we look for somebody who's got a successful business already, who's already got the systems, the marketing, the equipment, doing it, having people work for them usually, and they come to us and say, "Okay." Or we approach them and, and say, okay, let's let's make it big. You've got a good business here. It's working in one state. Let's cover it over the country. Let's have hundreds of people doing this. That, that's how it starts. It, the, the, the key is not finding great businesses or great business ideas. It's finding great people. Great people are the key. And so when you've got Jim's cleaning, uh, Jim's antenna installations, uh, dog washing, you've got Jim's fencing, Jim's building maintenance, and of course uh, the one you were mentioning too. Uh, you know, dealing with the, the trees and timber, and 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 a system that works along with that, and that goes from strength to strength. And it, what's so special about this name, Jim? Because do you think Aussies just relate to the name Jim? Because it's just so simple. It's it's there's a certain trustworthiness I about it. I don't think it's got anything to do with the name. The the um, little time that we spent working on our logo, you wouldn't believe. I used to put my photo on <laughs> leaflets, and because I found I got more work. When we franchised, um, I just said, okay, make it a graphic image, put the name Jim's on it. That's about it. It was like half an hour of thought. There's, there's nothing to it. What counts is service. One thing I have, I mean, I'm lousy at business in so many ways. I wouldn't even start to talk about them in terms of poor social skills and can't remember names and faces and I'm bone idle by nature, all kinds of issues. But I've got a great passion for service. I hate letting people down. I hate letting my clients down and I hate letting my franchisees down. And that is the passion behind the brand. It doesn't matter what you call it. I've got to call you myself Fred's Mowing. It doesn't matter. I could have had glasses like Dick Smith. It's not the name, it's the service, it's the passion, it's the beliefs behind it. Is this what's setting some successful businesses apart from those that are destined to failure? This idea of having a wonderful servant heart, uh, not wanting to let the client down, going the extra mile, and if something goes wrong, uh, you're there to fix it as soon as possible. Do you Absolutely. think Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a desire for service that comes from within. It's got to be part of your guts. It's not saying I'll give great service because I'll make more money. I'll give great service even if it costs me money, no matter what it is. I will fix it. We just this morning faced with a situation. There was a retaining wall built nine years ago by one of our franchisees who's long since left the system. And they asked me, what do I do about it? I mean, there's no formal guarantee. I said, have a look at it. If necessary, get expert advice. If it was built badly, we'll fix it no matter what it is, no matter what it costs. It's not a legal issue. If one of our guys did the wrong thing under my brand, we will fix it. We had one job we fixed cost $120,000. There is no question. You, you, you look after the people you do with. You look after your clients. 
you'd look after your franchisees. And I think one of the things, too, that people often neglect in business, there's a lot of emphasis you've got to be proud. I think one of the greatest assets in business is humility. It's the Christian version of humility, being able to say, what should I do better? How can I improve? What mistake did I make? What can I learn from somebody else? Well, Jim, when you start to uh, talk about those virtues of a life uh, and the way that they, in fact, uh, become the foundation for successful business, this is something that is so, so deep and so important. When you start to talk about your Christian faith and you talk about issues of integrity, of not wanting to let the client down, of actually going the extra mile, having the servanthood heart, this comes from a deep-rooted Christian convictions that you've held for a long time. I wonder what you can share about your own Christian history. Well, I was a, a militant atheist for a long time, from the time I was 14, and I not only turned against God, but I used to go around arguing with people, telling them they were wrong. I went to a Billy Graham crusade, and I'm not really proud of this, but it gives me an advantage. And I listen to Billy Graham now, and I think, what an incredible guy. I went, and I was mocking people who were going down the front, and I would tell them, you're idiots. I mean, and, and I was known as being anti-Christian. And then when I was 28 years old, I, I was walking through the University Union and I got chatting to people from the Christian Union and I just liked them and they invited me to come along in this camp and I was an atheist, okay, I had no, but something about them drew me and then when I was, we had a quiet time in the first morning of the camp and I was sitting down in the corner of the room just writing down the thoughts in my mind and then I just felt this powerful sense God was calling me. And so I came up, I was a Christian from that time on, and so I have been ever since. And that, when you describe that, it's like, we would say that would be like an encounter with God. Uh, was this like mental encounter, or is there something a little bit deeper that goes beyond just your thoughts and draws, you know, because sometimes we talk about a difference between what's happening in our head and what's happening in our heart, or does, do the two join together? How do you describe that? I'm not much of an intellectual, I don't know. I just felt this powerful sense that God was calling me and that he was real and that he wanted me for, to follow, follow him. That That's really the way I felt it. And it just changed everything. It changed my life in unbelievable ways. Suddenly, you know, I, I listened to Christmas carols all my life and suddenly I listened to them. And they made sense. And they made sense. I knew what they meant. Your passion then began to change from the mockingness of the atheism and you moved then to a passionateness about your faith and uh, I wonder how you responded to your atheist friends all those who thought uh, Jim he's one of our good blokes so what, what was what was it like in those days when you were confronted all those atheist friends and uh, and that they saw that you were different now I don't know I had many, many atheist friends actually it, it, it wasn't the, the people most surprised were the Christians, actually. The, the um, One guy was told, you know, Jim Jim Penman's come back from this camp and he's become a Christian. And he just stood there. I mean, I didn't see it, but so he says he, he stood there right in the University of Agra saying, Jim Penman, a Christian. Jim Penman, a Christian, like that. He just couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't believe it. I was the least likely person in the world from his point of view. But it's a bit like Paul on the road to Damascus. You know, when you change, you change completely. I have to be... You know, I love, I love the verse in Revelation, um, I wish you were either hot or cold, or if you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. I mean, I'm like that. I'm either, I'm either one side or the other. I can't be in the middle. I can't not make up my mind. 
And do you have difficulty understanding how there are some Christians who feel like they need to have one foot in the kingdom of God, another foot in the world? As a, you know, you've, you've got this determination to be red hot uh, rather than lukewarm or rather than cold. So what is it? Uh, how do you think of, uh, you know, people who think, well, uh, I'm just trying to keep everybody happy here? I uh, think they miss out on a lot. I think people who try and compromise, who try and be in the church but be in the world and think I can, I can sort of adapt my behavior and I can adopt certain ideas. I mean, the Bible is very clear about the way we should live. There are certain principles there that are completely uniform right throughout the Bible. How we live, how we want the faith that we have, that, that can't be compromised. And if you compromise on that, if you try and have a foot in both camps, it doesn't work. God isn't, isn't real to you. You don't get the benefits. You don't get the joy. You don't get the, the breakthrough life experiences that, that true Christianity can offer. Because that is a, it has to be a full commitment. I know that people are fascinated by what happens in the life of a Christian believer uh, when they go through a, a series of business deals and uh, the growth of business and, and you become wealthy. And, but I'm aware that you also like to pursue a fairly simple lifestyle. Does that come from your Christian conviction or lifestyle type? You know, the, the Bible that means the most to me is what Jesus said. He said, it's harder for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And what he meant by that, and I also like the book of James, which talks about similar things, is wealth is inherently corrupting. It brings luxury. It brings pride. I will not live a life that's based on how much I make, and I will not inflict that on my children. My children have no concept. They sort of know it's some abstract sense we're ridiculously rich, but it means absolutely nothing to them. Because I'm always going on turning off the lights, and you know, and and we can save me on this. Let's buy the coal stuff and the and, and not not the branded stuff. And, and I mean, I'm a bit of a fanatic. I I don't. When God gives us wealth, He gives us to be used. It's not there to just to be enjoyed. He said, "Okay, Jim, I've given you this. It's not for you. It's for what you can do with it. And living luxuriously is not part of my idea for life. And I think this." It's better. You know, I, I help the kids do the washing up, for example. I grow my own potatoes. I, I think that kind of life is better. It's more meaningful. Because all the research on happiness shows that money isn't what creates happiness. There are three things they've found that matter. First of all, it's relationship. Secondly, it's sense of purpose. And thirdly, a sense of community. And my Christian faith gives me all of those in spades. Money doesn't even come in the top three. Well, Jim Penman, let's make this the introduction to a longer discussion that we're going to have to have on another day. But I'm just uh, uh, just thrilled to be able to make this connection with you, and we will make another plan uh, to hear some things more deeply, uh, your life story, uh, because we haven't even gotten into all sorts of other areas that you're passionate about, uh, including history. You did go on, and you did succeed in, uh, in, in, uh, in getting your academic level of history, and we'll talk some more about some faith issues on another day and about business. But let me say, before we say farewell to Jim from Jim's Mowing, Jim, there's a picture of a handsome Australian man on the side of all those trailers, and he has a beard. But as I'm sitting opposite you, you're clean-shaven. Uh, what's the reason for that? 
Uh, my, <laughs> my beard was going grey, and I didn't want it to look any older than I, I needed to. I look old enough anyway without a grey beard. And as I look out the window at the Reach Beyond studios here today, and uh, this is where we're broadcasting live in Melbourne, uh, Jim, that grass is looking a little long out there. Do you think you can give it a little run over for the guys here before you leave? I'll certainly give you a quote. <laughs> Jim Penman, our guest, and Jim, thank you so much for dropping in and uh, for just sharing these a few little bits and pieces of your story. We'll make a date for another day. Jim Penman, the founder of Jim's Mowing. Jim, thanks for being with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.